What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another issue of the Comic Bookies Podcast. This is Mike with Mark and Sean for you. We have another interview this week. He's been on the show before. He released No Heroin just a couple months ago, and he's back to announce another project. He's from Source Point Press, and he's a pumpkin spice latte connoisseur. Frank Gogol, welcome back to the show. How are you, my, my friend? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me back. Frank, how's it going? How yeah. how you been, brother? It, it's got. I mean, twenty twenty is fucking fantastic. It's like, it doesn't get better than this, right? There's no other way to put it. I mean, I know you reside. I believe. I mean, you were in San Francisco. Are you still out there? Yes, I am. Yeah, I know that. I mean, we're a couple miles south and east of you and whatnot. And yeah, I think that I've been hearing that a lot of maybe their gyms have been opening back up. So, I mean, that's kind of a good thing to, to hear if their salons, gyms, and stuff like that is opening back up. It kind of gives a little bit of relief to at least uh, the rest of California because I've drove by my gym over here in the East Bay, and they seem not to be open yet. So, I don't know what's the holdup, but if San Francisco's opening up, I'm pretty sure that the rest of California isn't far be- behind. Albeit, uh, Mr. Newsom did say today that he's in no damn hurry to open up Disneyland which makes no sense because if the one in Florida is open, why the hell isn't the one in California open? I mean, it's just I just hate how all this crap just becomes so damn political. But, you know, we'll save that for uh, another podcast. But <laughs> happy, happy to have you, Frank. Welcome, brother. Like I said, th- thanks for having me. Am I now the the most had guest? Have I gotten the championship belt? Almost, almost. You are now tied with you fellow Point Press writer Jason Douglas. You both have been on twice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. So, um, I mean, like Mark was saying, kind of expand on it, but shoot, 2020, man, you were on the podcast before COVID even kind of came to America. Uh, it was like the first week of February. Shoot, it was before the Super Bowl happened. I, I don't know if that's a sour subject for you. So, um, sour subject. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But how's, you know, how's your 2020 been as far as comics, as far as non-comics? How have you been? Uh, all right. So, so real talk, yeah, 2020 has been trash, like straight trash in, in so many ways. Um, yeah, just not to not to get into the politics of it all, but I am a little worried. We are opening a little too quick. You know, San Francisco is reopening because we have some of the lowest cases for a metropolitan in the country. And that's because we've done a pretty good job of taking it seriously here. But I worry because not everyone else outside the city is taking it seriously. So when they start coming back in, yeah, that that could that could be a problem. Um, my gym isn't opening up because it closed permanently. So, oh, well, I had to get a gym for my house, which, yeah, whatever. Uh, and by gym for my house, I mean an elliptical machine and a, a push-up board. <laughs> what do you You got elliptical? I yeah. joined the club with you, man. I had to get one also yeah. with these gyms I, I closed was, down. I gained, like, I gained like eight pounds, and I was like, nope, got, got to turn this ship right around. Some of us, gained the, yes, some of us gained the COVID-19. I had to get myself a Nordic track, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're lucky, Frank. You kept it under the double-digit mark, but with the <laughs> – with like Mike mentioned, with the PSL season starting back up, you're gonna have to go a little bit uh, uh, less sugar on those, man, because those will kind of get straight to the gut as well coming yeah, this fall yeah. season. Dude, they're like almost 500 calories like, for the crazy. Grande. That's those right. That's why dangerous. I gotta. That's why yeah. I gotta go with the tall and the extra shot instead. <laughs> yeah, I get I get the tall with the skim milk. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, this year it's it's like up until this week it stayed pretty warm throughout September, so I went with the the pumpkin cold brew more often just because. Little fewer calories and uh, you know, 
better for the the weather we were having. But uh, I did have a PSL this morning, and it was fucking delicious. So um, <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Uh, but 2020 is, you know, like, if I'm being honest, it's like it's a real mixed bag. Like, the, the larger world, everything kind of sucks. Like, we've been locked in the house for eight months now. Um, I've run out of TV shows to watch. Like, I've got, like, two left. I'm running out of video games to play, which has never been a problem. Um you know, like uh, when we first started doing this, like I started working from home in February. My, my job was like kind of like ahead of the curve on that. Um, and then my wife came and started working from home. We kind of like weren't used to seeing each other 24-7. We butted heads a little bit. And, like that was a little bit of growing pains. And, you know, the, the whole thing has definitely been trying, for lack of a better word. Like we, we were able to get away for a weekend for a couple of days to somewhere like a little more rural where we can go outside and like, holy shit, if I didn't have that, I'd probably be dead by now. Like it's, um, so for anyone who hasn't had a chance to like get out of the house at all, like I feel for you. Um, but it, like on the professional side, like things are like honestly really good. Like <laughs> if I could say that, that's not like an asshole. Um, so, uh, dead and kids came out last year. It was a huge hit. Um, no heroin came out this year. Uh, pre-orders on the first issue doubled what dead and kids number one did um we're, we're talking about going to a third printing on number one second printings one two and three have all sold out i mean like that has been as good to me as as dead and kids was um i have an agent now who's working on getting those bad boys on tv maybe uh so we'll see what happens um yeah. and yeah so it's yeah it's, it's it's been good like um i've between dead end kids and no heroin coming out like i've had a second opportunity to reach out to Marvel and submit to them. And this time they were, they were coming to me. So, I mean, nothing's going on there. I don't like any news or anything, but that's, it's always nice to have, you know, somebody ask you rather than you ask them, which, you know, I appreciate. Um, I've had a couple of bigger publishers. I'd say definitely both top 10, maybe one top five reach out to me to pitch some stuff and they have pitches with them now. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. So like, like, all things considered, like professionally speaking, like it's it's been awesome. Like it's 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 not 2020 in my professional life. Definitely, congrats on all that, Frank. Because I think someone in your field, especially with the whole COVID thing, I'm sure like initially is kind of like crap. Like I can't even go outside to get some fresh air. But now fast forwarding to kind of where we're at now, you know, you can collect your thoughts. You have maybe a better network base, even because you know a lot of people are just home now, probably just uh, behind their screens sure. doing something. So seeing what you're doing with the whole no heroin, the whole dead end kids, I'm sure like you're in a good position to, on top of those two stories, have a whole bunch of new fun projects you're already thinking about. Yeah, no, uh, I mean like, so one of the, the cool things that happened at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, it was the last week of March when comic shops got their first week with no shipments is a bunch of the really renowned retailers um, like Jen King from Space Cadets Collection Collection in, in Texas and some of the other like really kind of like movers and shakers like they put together a private Facebook group called Plan C and it was essentially like a giant network of, of all the people in the industry you know that that I'm aware of and, and then like tons more and like being able to get in there and connect with everybody was super super helpful for for like coordinating you know helping shops out and doing fundraising stuff and and you know just connecting with people in general so like that's been awesome building up those relationships um i definitely you know spent a lot of energy this year quadrupling or 5xing you know my, my retailer network and and that's definitely part of the reason no heroin's done so well um yeah yeah like I, I definitely don't like not being able to go out and walk like that was usually how i did my kind of brainstorming and cracking stories and stuff like that i've kind of had had to adapt uh but you know like like jeff goldblum says you know life finds a way that's <laughs> right that's good 
I mean, it's crazy to think that you had so much success and you were, were networking so much and felt, you know and got all these you know retailers to get out there. It seems like DC and Marvel should have taken a page out of your guys's book because with the news of you know a couple months ago like like Marvel letting go a bunch of artists and DC getting rid of like a third of their you know of their crew and as far as like, the writing is concerned, it's, it's it's pretty crazy to think that. But then on the flip side, it's a totally other end of the spectrum as to how you're having the success you know despite COVID. Yeah, I, th- I think those things are like really strongly interrelated. Um, and, and part of it is sort of the apples and oranges nature of, of the comparison. Like DC is a giant corporate machine and like everything is plus dollars minus dollars, right? If they're going to be losing money on something, they cut it off. Like they cancel collections left and right and it drives me nuts. But if, they, if something's not getting pre-orders or it's not selling, they have no problem just giving it the X. Um, and same thing with Marvel, like they're dollars and dollars out. Um, they have a lot of people they need to pay. If they aren't selling books, they're not making money. They can't pay people. Like I, I totally get the decision as, as much as it sucks, but you know, as a business, it made sense. But for the smaller guys like Source Point Press and Scout and and, and maybe to some extent Valiant, um, like they have much smaller crews of people, um, and they're they're putting out far fewer books. So like the economics are like just night and day. Um, but I think. What happened that was really, you know, sort of a silver lining for the smaller guys is with DC making so many decisions that sort of upset retailers throughout this whole last eight months and not being able to put out books like the smaller guys like SourcePoint and Scout and Mad Cave were able to really capitalize on the vacuum. Um, like they're, they're small enough that a lot of them can do their own fulfillment without diamonds. So for SourcePoint, they have a warehouse and they have a warehouse staff. So when, when, um, COVID hit and, shop shut down or diamond stopped distributing they were still able to get product to the stores that didn't have product on the shelves like there were so many stores that just had empty shelves because there's no books coming in and source point was able to you know help help those people out um we did a little bit of private fundraising and put together about 10 grand uh to essentially offset the cost of printing and we put together bundles and and just ship them to shops for free um so that they would have something on the shelves um so you know that you know, like things could could kind of get moving along a little bit without anyone having to lose lose their hat, and um, and that that was kind of cool, and like that was like one of the things that probably really helped No Heroin was like these shops that didn't know us before knew us now, and and without the competition from Batman, it was it was really fertile soil for for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something, Frank. Um, we know that you're a uh, Power Rangers fan. And with all the video games and the TV that you've been watching since COVID hit and since you've been at home a lot, have there been any books besides that one that you've gotten into since February? I know we have a few really good ones from DC Black Label. There's been that huge event. Um, what was it? It was uh, Empire from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Just anything from the big two or Image or anything like that that you've been getting into since then? Um, I read Empire. Uh, I liked it more than most people. Um, it. It wasn't like the best thing I've ever read, but like from a structural standpoint, like it was pretty tight. Like, you know, there weren't a lot of tie ins um, and that's because of COVID. They had to cut a lot of them, but it felt tight. And like everything I read felt like it was the central of the story, which is kind of cool because like so many, so many uh, big crossovers, like they're kind of shoehorned in there and like a lot of things are repetitive. Like I think, yeah, more of the realms, like everything kind of felt the same when I was reading that. This this felt like everything kind of mattered. And I liked it. I'm a big Fantastic Four fan, so I, like, I appreciate it. I love Al Ewing. Um, I'm reading Metal right now, and that's another one that I think is is, is it's a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of over the top, but the, the structure of it is really tight. And, like, 
you know, there's not a ton of tie-ins and everything kind of feels like it's essential and like I, I like that about it. Um, I'm trying to think like not a whole lot's come out this year, so it's it's kind of hard to answer that question. I've definitely been enjoying a lot of the Boom series. I didn't ask about Boom, but uh, Something is Killing the Children is, is really just excellent. Like it feels like I'm, I'm reading a TV show. Um, anything James Tynan's doing, like this is automatic gold. I, I'm actually going to read uh, Department of Truth number one tonight after we it's get off. It's really so. good. I, I that's all that's what I hear, and I love conspiracy theory shit. So like that's right yeah. up my alley. Um, yeah. Trying to think what else. Like, uh, have you read anything from uh, this new publisher that I've been really into, Frank? It's called AWA Artists, Writings, and Artisans, and AWA I, Upshot, I believe. I have a pile of uh, not a pile because it's not they're not real, but I have a, a whole folder of PDFs from my friends who've put out books with them and have books coming with them that I haven't had a chance to dig into. But Year Zero from Benjamin Percy looks awesome, um, and there, there's there's a couple other ones that really really jumped out at me. Um, I, I'm I'm excited to see what they do because the 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 top brass there is that it's uh, Alex Alonzo and and uh, who's, who who else? It's uh, the it's the guy that wrote the Resistance, Michael J. Straczynski. Oh yeah, Straczynski. Yeah. So like it's just it's just like quality quality people making quality books. Like, I'm super excited about that. Um, the the publishers I'm most excited for right now are not the ones that are putting out good content necessarily. Um, not that that's bad, and I love that obviously. Um, but the ones who are kind of taking chances with format. Um, so I'm paying really really close attention to, like everything the X Men books are doing. Like I think that that's kind of paving the way for what comics might look like in five years or, or next week, depending on like, you know, how, how fast they put that out. Um, I love what TKO is doing, even if I don't think it's going to work um, in the long run, but I, I can't wait to be wrong about that. Like I can, hope it, can, it does. Can you elaborate on that Marv on that uh, X-Men that you're talking about? What do you um, mean that? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you guys haven't been reading, absolutely check it out. But um, so Jonathan Hickman came in, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago now, and released two series that were really one series, House of X and Powers of Ten. Um, and yeah. essentially it's a 12-issue maxi-series, but like done in the mm-hmm. style of Jonathan Hickman. So they're data pages and all kinds of weird fucking mysteries and, and lots of dangling plot threads for, you know, years worth of story to pick up on. Um, and, and like, you know, just that sort of family of books being a unit and and having like... I mean, even like down to the design stuff, Tom Mueller or Tom Muller is, is on the design for all the books and like all the logos are really matchy and, and the, the trade dress on the trades is, is really, really on point. Like there's there's so much good stuff happening in that family of books. And I'm not a big X-Men fan. Like I like the Grant Morrison new X-Men stuff. I like Whedon's Astonishing. Um, and like outside of that, I haven't loved a ton of other X-Men stuff um, that I've read. Like it's just it's it's really continuity heavy. It's kind of hard to, to get into if you're not like a lifelong fan. Um, Amen. <clears throat> but, the, but those two were kind of fresh starts. Um, and I've, I've read pretty much everything since those. But nothing's ever really jumped out of me. Uh, maybe, maybe the Bendis um, all new X-Men stuff, like for the first like 20 or 30 issues, like I thought that was kind of fresh. Um, but this, what they're doing over uh, with Krakoa and, and, and the mutant sort of nation, like it, it's, it's enterable as like with a fresh start. Like if you've not read X-Men before, it's not dense in a way that you can't penetrate it, but it also really celebrates a lot of the stuff that comes before and like it kind of layers it in and you get a lot of that. So it's, 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 it's really pitch perfect. And I wish, that they would do something like that for Avengers down the line. Like one of the things I hate about Avengers and I love Avengers is that like none of the books ever line up, right? Like Avengers, when, when Bendis was doing it, 
was was the best book coming out of Marvel for for like ten years. Um, but the stuff happening in the Cap book and the Iron Man book and the Thor book, uh, they just never lined up. Like costumes didn't match. Like there was no ongoing narrative. Like if I were running Avengers, like that would be the temple, and all the other stuff under it would be like slave to it, and it would all be one big story. And like, and it's obviously possible because they're doing it with X Men. Do you ever just, think there are challenges though? with, I guess, creating stories in the way that Hickman is, because it's funny, because we're actually reading the X-Men, and there's times, I mean, we're seeing these whole new characters, there's times this book doesn't, this story doesn't go with that story, so maybe for, like, the more novice comic book reader, do you ever think there's going to be a little bit of, like, what the hell did I just read? Or do you think that, in some way, they do all correlate? I, I definitely think that... Um there's a strong enough through line, especially since everything's so new. Like everything is based around this idea of, you know, the mutant nation of Krakow, right? You, you've got the X-Men book, which is like the main book. It's a bunch of one shots, essentially that kind of like build out the, the, the little universe, you know, like where the gates are going and, and what, what each part of the Island is, you know, what, what, what's going on with the, the five and, and then the resurrections and all that and sort of establishing like their, every, the, the core of everything. Then you got the Marauders, who are essentially like, you know, the black market smugglers getting their product out into the world and cutting backdoor deals with the people. You've got X-Force, which is like their CIA. Um, what else? I can't even remember all the books. There's so many. Um, and then, like, there's some odd ones that, like, I don't love as much. Like, like Wolverine doesn't really feel like it's it's necessary to read in the larger context. But I feel like Wolverine's there, um, which I think is also a good choice, too. Like, you know, being able to have it both ways. You know, you can have things that are all connected and kind of like add to the larger story or things that take place in that context, but are kind of on their own. It's, it's kind of tough for me specifically, because I really wanted to, you know, about a year ago, I wasn't re- reading too many Marvel books. So I was like, okay, cool. This is a new era. I loved everything with Moira and like, you know, mm-hmm. how, and like what he's doing with her, but then they're getting into this X of swords thing. So we're on X-Men and I, that's only X-Men book that I read. So, mm-hmm. So the X-Men creation comes out, you know, our guy Alex over at TI Comics, you know, he gets me a copy of that and like, oh, since I'm reading X-Men, okay, that's cool. And then I look into it and it's like, what, 22 or 21 straight weeks of you got to get X-Force and you got to get this issue of 22 issues. Oh, okay. So it's a couple issues per week. Okay. So it's like, for me, it's like, um, I don't read any of these other things. Like, am I going to be confused? Oh yeah, you're definitely going to be confused. Yeah. Right. So, so I just kind of like. (laughs) <laughs> handed him back the X of Swords creation. I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of stick to X-Men, you know, real quick. But but that's the thing is is with all of these different events, I, I feel sometimes it's a money grab. It, 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 it might be a good story, but at the same time, it's like, oh, dude, really? You're going to force me to get these other 12 books? What the hell? Yeah, I mean, like, look, I... Uh... I, I definitely understand that. Um, and, and when I heard it was 22 parts, my, my first reaction was like, oh, that's, that's a lot of money. That's like $86 or $92. Like that's yep. plus tax. Um, but I also in the back of my head know that comics are a business and if they can get people to buy more of a comic, that's a good thing for the company. And if Marvel can convert readers, like some of those series just start, like Hellions is on issue like four or five. Um, one, uh, uh, X factors on issue four or five. Like if they can get people to convert and go back and buy, you know, those other four issues too, and get people on board with the series, like that's that's a plus. Um, but I, I mean, I, I definitely see both sides of it. Um, for me, it's like it, it's Hickman, so it's like really easy for me to say yes to everything. Um, and I've enjoyed all of it. Like not all the the series on their own, but like 
the, the grandness of it. I mean, like if, if you do go back and essentially what you read, needed to read was those couple of issues of X-Men that, that led up to this. And then the stuff with summoner, you know, like issues like three, six, 11 and 12 or something like that. Um, and then what was going on in Excalibur. So you really need to read those two for this all to make sense. Everything mm-hmm. else makes sense after that so far. Um, yeah, because like the, one of the things I can give X of Swords really a lot of credit for is the everything feels essential so far. And we're only like six, five or six issues in. So like I can't say that for sure. But like I've never read any Hellions, but I know that when Hellions 5 comes out and it's chapter seven, like it's going to be part of this story, not part of the Hellions book story. Um, so it, it'll it'll be more accessible. At least that's what I think having read the, the first few chapters. Um, but uh, yeah, like I mean. You know, John, Jonathan, and, and the team—they they have a job, and the job is to smell, yeah, to smell, to sell as many comics as they possibly can. And like, you know, I'm not going to fault them for for finding ways to do it, even if I don't like them. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what? First of all, the smell is good sometimes to get the new comic, <laughs> especially that first week where we're actually able to walk into the comic book store and not, you know, pick it up curbside. That was great to actually walk in and smell it. But hey, and and then you're going to get what that King in Black. Big event, the Donny Cates one that involves what Thor and Venom and all that stuff. That's yeah. a huge event coming soon too. So, oh. damn, I mean, at least I, they have at least they have stuff coming out because for a bunch of weeks we had a bunch of DC and you know Image and Boom and Aftershock and stuff like that and Dark Horse, IDW, and then we had zero Marvel. It's like, dude, where are all my Thor books? Like, what, like where's my Strange Academy that I picked? Me and Sean picked up issue one and didn't get issue two until last month. It was crazy. Yeah, I. I mean, I think a lot of that is, is like the mechanics of, of everything. Like Marvel really had to truncate their, their 2020 plans to catch up. So like Empire was supposed to be the summer event. And I think the last issue was supposed to come out this month. They ended up doing it six weeks straight instead of like over three and a half months. Um, so like sort of coordinating that and like getting the whole big machine up and running again, I got to imagine that's not any kind of small task. Um, and at the end of the day, like I just... I try to be a positive person. It doesn't always work, but I try. Um, and just, you know, everything's back, and comics are coming out again, and, and I'm getting my Power Rangers books, so like I'm just grateful. There you go. Hey, Frank, let's get back to you a little more personally, man. Congratulations, by the way. No Heroin 3 came out today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, today's Thursday, so I think it was Sorry, yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, well, we usually sort of. on Wednesday, so... Uh, yeah. But no, yeah, uh, congratulations on No Heroin. Um, I'm going to be reading that this weekend. It's a great story thus far. And uh, it's kind of hard to believe that I did read uh, a newer offering by you. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want to ask you a quick question real quick, Frank. You mentioned that you've had some of these other publishers, uh, bigger ones, if you want to say, kind of reach out to you lately and whatnot. Uh, Source Point Press, they've been, you know, true to you and uh, – you know, they're getting bigger, in my opinion. I've been seeing a lot of I'm going to be picking up a new one, American uh, or uh, no, actually take that back. But I'm going to be picking up another one that's going to be coming out. I forgot the the name of it right now, but I'm going to be getting a couple more source point press titles. They're getting a little bit bigger. My question to you is we all know like we're into sports here. We're into contracts and everything. Is that kind of how it goes in like for you as a writer? Are you somewhat kind of under a contract with SourcePoint Press? Are you free to do your own like soliciting to other bigger publishers or how does it work with that in the business aspect of things? Uh, the best comparison I can make is <clears throat> I am a free agent that is choosing to stay with my team. 
like uh yeah contracts up and it's kind of like year by year i guess is like the best analysis like comics doesn't work in, in season so it's not perfect um but essentially so um when the first publisher reached out to me um I'm all about transparency. Um, SourcePoint's been really good to me. I, I love working with them. Like, I want to keep working with them. Um, so I reached out to Travis McIntyre, who's the editor-in-chief and the president of, of SourcePoint Press. I hopped on the phone with him, and I, and, I, and I chatted with him. And essentially what I said is, look, I this is this is a big opportunity. I, I definitely want to pursue it. Um, I don't want to ruffle feathers with you guys. Like, I like working with you. I want to keep publishing with you. Like, I want to do more you know, heroin, I want to do more other books like I, you know, and but this is a, a big opportunity. And essentially the conversation we had, and it was a great conversation, was, you know, if I put out a book with, say, Aftershock or, or, or a black label book or image or, or wherever, I'm, none of those are necessarily the ones. Um, but uh, and, and that grows my profile and, and my audience. And then I can bring new people to to the next volume of, of No Heroin or, or whatever the next book is. That's a plus for everybody. Like my profile is raised. I've got new fans. My next source point book does better. And, and source point and I both, you know, make more money, um, sell more comics, however, however you want to put it. Um, so like that's, that's like the, the reality of it. Like I will, in, unless something drastically changes in my relationship with source point, which it's only ever gotten better. Um, I will continue to publish with them, whether I'm writing for DC or, or, or Marvel or, or have books coming out of image. Um, essentially like I would treat it like a one for them, one for someone else kind of thing. Like I want to keep writing no heroin. Like I keep, I keep using that as an example, but um, yeah. And, and they, they've got the contract on that. So I can't take that over to image unless we break that contract. And I don't want to break that contract. I, I like working with them. They let, they let me make the books I want to make the way I want to make them without butting in too much, which is very rare. Um, so my plan moving forward is to, you know, loyal, loyal is not the right word because it's not an appropriate word, but I, I like source point. I'm sticking with them. Um, I, I will work other places and, and that will be good for me and source point. So it's, it's no one loses. Um, that said, when I did tell, uh, Travis that I was pitching these two other companies, um, without him asking for it, I offered to let SourcePoint have sort of first look at all the pitches that I was going to throw over and, and let them earmark any ones they thought would be a good fit for them. And I absolutely took those off the table and they're aside for SourcePoint if we want to pursue them. So it's, you know, it's kind of like when you take care of people, they take care of you and vice versa. And, and they have taken really good care of me. Well, that's all good to hear, Frank. I mean, great opportunities. We're definitely proud and just congratulate you because you're writing some really good stuff for SourcePoint. What kind of challenges do you think are there for a writer that here you are at SourcePoint, you just said it, you can kind of write what you want, how you want it, use your mind, your thoughts. Now you're going to go to a DC, a Marvel, and hey, I'm going to write for you guys. Do you think there's any pressure or any like challenges since maybe you're going to go from writing maybe more personal things to writing about these heroes or something, or maybe the company wants to put a little influence into what you're going to write. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I took, uh, I, I can't remember if we talked about this last time I was on, but I got part of my start, um, taking classes with comics experience, which is a, an online, um, sort of seminar based comics school that does writing classes and art classes, inking, lettering, you know, editing classes, like every part of making comics. I mean, I got my start there, uh, learning under Andy Schmidt, who 
used to edit at Marvel. He edited Civil War and Annihilation and uh, the Ed, Bra- Ed Brubaker Winter Soldier stuff. Um, so Andy, Andy knows his shit. Um, and he's the guy who helped me kind of figure out writing comics. And then since then, I've taken other classes there with guys like Paul Aller, who's writing G.I. Joe at um, IDW right now and has done a bunch of Ninja Turtle stuff. Uh, with uh, Fred Van Lente, who I don't need to introduce him. He's prolific. Um and then uh, I've even done a seminar with, with Jonathan Hickman, who I've, I'll name drop all day. Um, so it's, you know, like I, I believe in, in that education. And one of the classes I took uh, with Paul uh, was about uh, freelance writing and sort of like what, like what the cold water realities of that are. And like a lot of people go into freelance and don't really realize what it entails. And it is, it's pretty bleak, like. If on paper, like you're going in to write somebody else's property, you don't own it. You, you get paid what you get paid, and and you don't get royalties. And it's you know it's it's a job, and like there, there's a lot of kind of things that are pretty unattractive about it. But having gone through that class, like I feel like I'm at least mentally prepared for the exercise. Like I haven't written you know, Spider-Man or whatever yet, but like at least my eyes are open going into it. Um, but I think a lot of people do go in with, without that that sort of sense of how it actually works and they're really kind of off put by it um so like you know there i it, there will definitely be challenges um that all said like y- you don't get hired as a as a writer to not bring at least a little bit of what you do as a writer to the table like the reason jonathan heckman is writing x-men is because the way he would do it would work and like the way he would imagine it and, and as a machine, it would work. And it did. Um, same reason uh, there, there's, there are some writers and I, I could be totally wrong about this and I don't mean it to be in like an offensive thing. But there are some writers who you can, you can bring onto a book to get the job done. Like Cullen Bunn is a really good example of that. And, and Charles Soule, like those are guys who Marvel can really rely on. Like if they know that Donnie Cates needs a break on Venom for three months to, to write Absolute Carnage, which he did, um, they can bring in Cullen Bunn to fill in because he's written Venom before and he's just a really reliable guy, you know? Um, so like that's part of why they, they go to those guys because they have something um, that they bring to the table. So like I write really personal stories. I write really kind of, intimate is maybe not the right word but like the scale of them isn't you know galactic but it's really personal um and and if an editor at marvel or dc or wherever wanted to hire me like my my assumption would be that part of it is because of the way i tell stories like i don't see anyone putting me on avengers but maybe they put me on you know spider-man which is a smaller scale more personal book where where narration is normal and stuff like that i, I don't know i'm, I'm just kind of like spitballing but essentially like yeah there are definitely challenges um i i like to think i'm a little bit prepared for some of them it, it'll be hard like either way like i i actually just worked with an actual full-time editor developing something for the first time which was one of those top 10 publisher pitches um we developed the whole thing from scratch together um and and that was I mean, everyone thinks editors are these really overbearing people who have agendas, and I, I don't know that they're not, but any ones that I've ever met and the one I have worked with have, have been like really, really um, enthusiastic and, and like interested in making the story better. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm really open to, to feedback. So like it really works. It's kind of synergistic in that way. Um, and she was really good about asking questions that would help me 
find the better version of the thing I was trying to do or expand the story in an interesting way that maybe left the door open to tell more stories than the line. Like it was a really positive experience. So like, I, I, I mean, I think you kind of go in with these attitudes and kind of you get out of it what you put into it sometimes. I, again, like I, I don't know a whole lot about this yet, but I'm learning. And, and so far, like it feels like it's positive and, and, you know, I'm not even sure if I'm answering the question anymore. <laughs> Well, you know, Frank, we uh, wish nothing but the best of luck for your pitches, dude. That sounds amazing. Um, Excited. Yeah, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of the interview. Let's get into what we've all been waiting for, dead-end kids, the suburban job. So to me me personally, when I read it, I wanted it fresh in my brain. So I, I absolutely I, – I read it over the weekend, but then I read it again today. Um, it has the feel of dead-end kids, the first one. You know, you, know, you have the – the kid in his room, he's got the New Jersey Nets posters, you know, it's like kind of feels like, okay, cool, it's dead end kids. And there is, you know, stuff going on and these kids have to kind of come together and they're forced into an effed up situation. But as far as the specifics of everyone's like personal situations, it's completely different. So it's cool how I get like a, a little bit of a feel for, you know, the first one, but then it's a completely different thing. And, and that's what I love about it. That, that's, that's exactly, I don't even need to be here. You, you just did my whole job. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, so we, uh, so I guess I'll just dive right into to everything. Um, so right between when issue one came out in July of last year and issue two, issue two came out in August of Dead and Kids Volume One, we call it Volume One now. Um, Source Point came to me and they said, "Hey, this book's doing really well for us. The first issue was our high, highest selling first issue ever so far." Um, if you're interested in doing more of this, we, we would absolutely publish it, which is one of the things I love about SourcePoint. They're really just agile and, and, and forthcoming. So I appreciate that. Um, and, and at the time, I this was my first miniseries. Like I'd done Grief before this, and that was kind of – that was a very different experience because it's a short story collection and not not the same in any way. Um, but, uh, the book did really well unsurprisingly or, or surprisingly and like much better than anyone. I thought like just leaps and bounds better. Um, and honestly, like I was a little overwhelmed. Uh, like I, for, for probably eight weeks straight, once a day, if not more, I had a retailer call my cell phone, my personal phone number that I didn't give out. Um, and ask me if like I can help them get copies of the first issue and the second issue and the third issue. And, like that, that was crazy to me. Like, I, like I appreciated it on one level, but it was also like really like put off. Um, and, and just like the whole kind of experience was a little bit exhausting to be honest. Like I wasn't prepared for it. And it was a lot of like long nights trying to like figure things out and make things happen. And um, like a lot, a lot went into sort of dealing with the success of the book. If like I could say that without sounding kind of ungrateful. Um, but when SourcePoint came to me and asked me if I wanted to do more, like I was like in the thick of all that in the beginning of it, and, like I was kind of tired. And um, you guys have read it; uh, other people have probably read it. It's the, the end of that book. Like it's, it would be hard to kind of go back and tell stories with those kids again um, without either kind of undercutting the ending of the first book, which I love, or without kind of making it feel like phony and, and shoehorned in there and kind of artificial like like a lot of sequels do feel um so like i'm not a big fan of closing doors but i definitely wasn't trying to make another dead end kids right there and then so i told them maybe like the softest of maybes 
and just kind of kept that door open an inch. Um, and like at the same time, like I was working on No Heroin. Uh, no Heroin one got written before Dead and Kids, and then I wrote Dead and Kids and then came back to No Heroin and finished writing that. Um, and that was like halfway through production by the time Dead and Kids came out. So it was just like I was juggling a lot of balls and spinning a lot of plates, and I was tired. Um, so after con season ended and the beginning of November and like the holidays rolled around, I got to relax a little bit and kind of reflect on everything. Um, I started thinking about like what, what it would look like if I said yes, like what would a, a dead end kids two look like? Um, and, and at some point last year, it's all blur. I can't remember, but, uh, I, I watched true detective season three. Um, I skipped two because I heard bad things and it seems like I've made the right choice, but I love the first season. And then I watched the third season. I loved the sort of structure and mechanical way they they did it where it's a different year it's a different cast it's a different crime but it it did feel that like kind of weird hbo detective show like that vibe like you could tell it was a true detective show just by looking at it um and i loved that about it and like that kind of got me thinking all right maybe that's the way into another dead end kid story it's a new group of kids somewhere else. It's not 1999 anymore. Um, and, and maybe they're not dealing with a murder mystery. Maybe they're, they're dealing with, uh, I don't know, just some other kind of crime. You know, maybe, maybe they're going to go rob a bank, you know, four kids walking the bank. Um, so like once, once I had that in my head, I was like, I was like, all right, if I do more of this, that, that would be how I would do it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it would be pretty freeing. It would allow me to do something a little fresh, uh, but but from there, like it was still for me though the biggest thing was kind of figuring out like the angle into it. Like how do you what what story do you tell even if it is a different story? Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I got thinking about like things that are important to me. Like everything I write is sort of important to me. You know, Dead End Kids is about childhood trauma and like I had a really fucked up upbringing and like I think about that a lot. Um, you know, heroin is about you know the the road to recovery and what that's like for people who, who struggle with addiction. And I've a lot had a lot of people who struggle with addiction in my life and I've seen it firsthand. Um, so like I really needed something like personal to chew on for it to matter. And, and I kept coming back to this idea of, of nine 11 um, and, and like, you know, how I've thought about it so much over the years and um, you know, real quick, let's, let's roll back and do the pitch for the book because that'll it'll get some really important context for, for what's coming next. Um, so Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job is the story of three kids in 2008 who are all the loved ones in one way or another of people who died on or because of 9-11. Uh, so we've got three new kids, uh, Tori, who is the daughter of a first responder who died at Ground Zero uh, on 9-11. We've got Brian, who is the brother of a, an army soldier who's killed in Afghanistan a few years later. And then we've got Amna, who's a young Pakistani-American woman who's sort of living in, in a world full of exacerbated racial tensions in a post-9-11 world um so it's, it's these three kids um they're they're going through these these very different problems that all sort of stem from the same thing um they're former friends uh they were friends when they were younger and and you know as they've gotten older they've grown apart and and had to sort of deal with their problems on their own so in a lot of ways it's it's an inversion of the first volume where we had these kids who were really tight-knit and, and kind of relied on one another now we've got these kids sort of who are isolated and, and, and struggling with their problems alone. Um, and, I, and I like that idea of kind of turning the original on its head. Um, when you guys have read the first issue, the first like the first half of the first issue is set up to kind of make you think it's going to be like the first one. And then halfway through, there's there's a page where like 
you know, it's the locker sequence for, for the people who've seen it. Um, but where it's kind of the mission statement of the book, like you know, there's literal narration on the page that says this is not that story. Um, without ruining too much more, I won't say anything else. But uh, so, so Dead End Kids 2 is very much sort of an anti-Dead End Kids story. But, you know, it's, it is Dead End Kids. It's three kids. They're, they're dealing with a crime. Uh, this book is a heist book. Uh, which I'm, I was excited about, like that was that was pretty fun to write. Um, but yeah, so it's you know it it looks and feels and drives like a dead end kids book, but it's it's still its own thing and it's it's got its own sort of quirks and like little things too. Like I don't know if you guys noticed, but the first volume there are no panel borders, and the second volume we have panel borders, like just little stylistic mm-hmm. things. The color palettes are really different. Um, so we we just you know like I said wanted it to look and feel, but also be its own thing. Um, so. I don't know if that answers the question again or, or what the question was. I'm just going to talk until you guys stop. Me. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. Love the pitch. Oh, right, right. I was talking about why not 11. Um, oh. So yeah, get, get all dour and shit. Um, <laughs> no, but, but for real. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey um, in, in central Jersey, which is a real place, whether people in North and South Jersey want to say it isn't. Um, but uh, I grew up in a small beach town called Union Beach. It's on the southern shore of the Raritan Bay, which is sort of in the sort of nook of New Jersey on the Atlantic Ocean. So it faces north rather than east like the coast. Um, and on a clear day, I could look north and see lower Manhattan and the World Trade Center like, you know, in somewhat vivid detail. It was only a few miles away. Um, and so I grew up, you know, look, looking at the, the World Trade Center and, and not too far away from it. And, and I remember on the day that you know, the, the terrorists attacked, um, when I got out of school, I went down to our beachfront and, and I looked across and I, and I saw what was happening. Like, it was horrifying. We had one of those um, sort of sightseeing binoculars that you could put a quarter into and, and, you know, look across. Somebody had busted that open so that way anyone could look through it. And there was a line like two blocks long to, to look through it and see what was happening over there. And I stood on that line and I, I saw in like really, really vivid detail, like, like the smoke and, and, and the buildings on fire. It was absolutely devastating. Um, and that day has really like stood with me for a long time i mean we're coming up on on 20 years next year and and like i think to this day so much of our world is still kind of defined by that that one one experience that one day like legislation fear um you know lots lots of things in our society are very very much products of of that day um and and i met my wife uh six and a half years ago and she grew up here in san francisco she's a couple years younger than me and like our lives have been very different and our experience of that day has been very different, but we've talked about it a lot. It's just come up organically so many times over the years. And like that got me thinking that this is really something that really affected anybody, like not everybody, anybody. Like I, I got friends in Canada and Mexico and in the UK and Ireland who, who their lives were impacted by this and they're not, you know, us citizens and they don't live here. And like they, there's, you know, the way they have to fly into our country is different. Um, it's just, it's crazy how much this one thing affects us. And the first book was, was about childhood trauma. And I remember being a child when this happened and like, I'm sitting here thinking about how it affected me and other people. Like I really fell in love with the idea of sort of exploring that, that idea of how the different ways that might've affected people and kind of, that's what led me to the, the various different things that, that these kids are going through. Um, that all said, I, I, I really wanted to make it a point that 
this this book was not going to be what I call sort of tragedy porn, where it's you know it's a book about 9/11 to make a bunch of money and like taking advantage of like this really horrific thing. It's it's a jumping off point that that gives the story sort of an emotional core. But the the story set seven years later. It's it's about what's happening to these kids in the aftermath and and really what's happening between them. Um, and like honestly, like. I, I love the first book so much, but this book feels laser focused and, and really raw. And like it, for me, it's definitely the better of the two. It's crazy. Cause honestly, we read dead end kids, one dead end kids, two. And I think that's the biggest thing that Mark, Mike and myself love is here. We are talking to Mr. Frank Gogol and everything that you're writing, man, like you can emotionally like be attached to, and the, what the kids are going through, things that you've gone through in your life, actually seeing 9-11 pretty much happen right in front of you. It's crazy to me because the thing is, a lot of these writers, I don't know if they actually have that connection. Sometimes maybe they're just writing things off of a good thought. But I think not necessarily that it's an, uh, an advantage for you, but I just think there's like more like pride in your work specifically because you know we're reading these books and we can like feel it like, okay, this guy like, he really means what he's writing. Like these kids are just like different characters. Like this could be a real kid right here. This could be like some real shit going on. So, I mean, I definitely applaud you because again, you know, you've opened up to us about certain things that you've gone through and, you know, right off the top, when we've seen like the first couple of pages of the PDF for dead end kids too, and we've seen that at 11, especially me and Mike talked about it, just the artwork, man, the artwork is awesome. And even just seeing that brought me to that day, like seeing it in TV, like what the hell is going on? So I think more of just, I guess, a thank you, man, because the thing is, I mean, what you write is real. And when we read it, that's one thing I think we've all loved outside of like the DC and the Marvel stuff, the whole superhero thing. You know, your stories are really, really like there's like an emotional attachment to them. So it's something I definitely like applaud you for. I, I appreciate that so much. And and that's that's what I'm going for. Like I. When I, when I first started writing, like I set myself a couple of kind of like North Stars, and I think I might have mentioned this last time, but like there, there are some things that I like in stories and some things that I want to do as a storyteller. And one of them is is write about things like there, there are a lot of books I read that are really interesting, but they're not really about anything. And, and like to, to me, to, to make something like that, for me, that experience would be kind of hollow. It's not wrong to make books like that. And I definitely, like, I love the Transformers movies. They're terrible. There's nothing to say in those movies whatsoever. Uh, there's probably some really bad stuff being said in those movies. Like, there's a little bit of racism in some of the robots. Um, but, like, it's, that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And that's totally, totally fine. It's my guilty butter. Um that's like that's just not what i'm interested in doing um for me like part of where i get my ideas is like i've got demons like i've got these little monsters scratching at the inside of my skull and you know when one scratch is long enough like i know that that's a story that i want to talk about um you know i don't actually have monsters in my head i don't think um but yeah so like i don't know like that's just for that's what i want to write about like i want to write about real shit and like yeah, you know, honestly, it's like therapeutic for me too. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be 33 in a couple of weeks and, and I haven't been to therapy for a long time and I definitely, definitely should have been. Um, so like writing about these, these things, uh, like writing about grief and kind of looking back at my relationship with my mom and stuff like that's been, that's been helpful. Like, so it's, it's, it, it benefits everybody. And that's what's so cool about being able to come on these podcasts. By the way, you're listening to the comic boogies podcast brought to you by. Treasure Island Comics in Fremont, California. We are talking to Frank Gogol, Dead End Kens 2. The Suburban Job is coming out soon. 
be on the lookout for it. We are able to do this wonderful interview with him for you fans today. Uh, Frank, I mean, if it, you're writing this and you're talking about September 11th, but if fans and people that don't know you really aren't listening to you speak or your actual story as you're able to say on on these type of platforms and these podcasts, I mean, who would have known that you were just a kid there, you know, being able to watch World Trade Centers blow up through, you know, telescopes across the river and whatnot. But I got a question for you also, man, is I noticed like, you know, no heroin and, you know, dead end kids, too. It's kind of like middle of suburbia type of like, you know, um, what would you say, like white, whiter kid lifestyle type of stuff. But I noticed in uh, dead end kids, too, that you kind of bring a little bit of uh, race into it. Is that something that you've been uh, kind of thinking about doing? Is it, you know, we, we're at times, we mentioned 2020 and pre-production and all the, the, the world that we're living in. Was it kind of something that you wanted to do eventually in your books and in your writing that you wanted to bring like ethnicity into it? Or uh, is it just kind of random? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's definitely on purpose. Um, and it's so like just speaking about Dead End Kids, the first volume in particular, um, there, there were no races attached to the kids, like in the script. Um, and, and honestly, like in my mind, I definitely had imagined them all just being, you know, little white suburban kids. Uh, and that, that's part of, because that's where I grew up. Like, I think we had a black kid in, in my town, um, when I was in fourth grade. Um, but like, it was, it was a very poor white town. Like, it's not, it's, I mean, it's not like it's not like San Francisco or anything like that. Um, so, like in my mind, I definitely imagined it that way, but I also didn't write it to be anything in particular. And I left a lot of that up to Nanad. And Nanad lives in Eastern Europe, uh, where it is predominantly white. Um, so I think like just yeah, that that one kind of just landed the way it did because it did, um, not not for any purposeful reason. And that's okay. Like not every book needs to be overly diverse or underly diverse like you know sometimes you just let the book be the book um if you look back at grief my first book like there's a ton of um diversity in there there's a story about a trans woman there's a story about you know black men there's a story about hispanic people um and that was very personal because i do want to be a creator who yeah just doesn't tell stories about white people um i don't think there are certain stories i should tackle like i'm okay writing a story about a trans person but i'm not necessarily okay with writing a story about a trans person's experience um and i think that's there's a differentiation there like you can have diversity without telling stories that aren't yours to tell um and there have definitely been a couple times where i've i've kind of stepped over that line too but i've also made an effort to work with people of those backgrounds uh in grief i did write a story about um sort of a, a young trans woman's experience with you know, bullying and stuff like that. And I worked with a trans comics creator to sort of edit the script and make sure that it was sensitive to the topic and, and accurate, um, you know, and, and, and that was a really good experience. Um, and, and I think that if you're going to do that and you want to kind of step over that line, there's not necessarily something wrong with that, but there's a right and wrong way to do it. Um, Mags Visagio is, is a friend of mine and I've got a lot of love for, for the trans community. And like, I wanted to make sure I did it right. Um, so for tackling dead end kids too, um, you know, like I said, the the cast for Dead End Kids one and Lily White, it's yeah, it's like a like the moon. Um, so when, when um, last year at uh, 
Bruce City Comic Con, I tabled with uh, my buddy Nolan Nasser, who is the founder of Deep Water Games, which is SourcePoint Press's sister company. Uh, it's a board game company. Uh, who may or may not be working on a Dead End Kids board game. Can't say anything about that, but they are. Um, but Nolan, he he was a huge Dead End Kids fan, like probably the biggest fan of the book. Um, and we talked about it a lot, and like I I, I love talking to him about stuff. Um, but I at that point, like the book had pretty much finished coming out or was about to finish coming out, and I hadn't really heard any bad feedback about it. There was one bad review for number three, and the, the review was that the, the book wasn't long enough, that they wanted more, and that they were mad that there wasn't a fourth issue. Um, so outside of that, like I hadn't gotten a lot of good feedback or a lot of negative feedback that I can like become a better creator from. Uh, so I asked Nolan, I was like, hey, I know you love the book, but what would you change about it? Like, what would you want to see more of, less of? Like, what, what did I fuck up? Um, and, and Nolan is, uh, God, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but I believe Nolan is of Libyan descent. Um, and he said to me, you know, I, I love this book. I really relate to these characters. But when I read the book, I don't see myself. You know, like I didn't see myself in I couldn't connect 100 percent. And he was 100 percent spot on, like the cast is super white and he, he is not a white person. Um, so like when I was coming in to develop this cast, like I definitely in my back pocket wanted to make sure that, you know, there was a more diverse representation, um, but I also wanted it to, to be for reasons that, that mattered in the story, um, at least at least in some instances. So like, um, yeah, so Tori is a young Mexican woman, um, which is based on a friend that I grew up with, whose, whose dad um, was was in the fire department and, and did die uh, at the scene of 9-11. This sort of like, you know, she asked not to be named, so I don't know I won't name her, but, she, you know, this is very much based on her story um and and amna is 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 pakistani american um you know the middle eastern uh and that that was sort of my my homage to to nolan um and and uh nolan helped me kind of refine the character and and, and kind of like understand a little bit more about the muslim culture um ahmed rafit who had done the uh the noir covers for dead and kids volume one He's he's Egyptian Muslim, uh, no longer practicing Muslim, but I also worked with him to kind of like get the um, the ins and outs of the prayers and how they would do it and stuff like that down and and really kind of make these characters authentic. Um, you know, it's it's about what you put into it, and I, and I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. So yes, there is definitely um, a a big push on my end to to make sure that you know Dead and Kids is a franchise that everyone can see themselves inside of and like start working towards that ideal. Um, but I want to also make sure that I, I went through the right motions and made it authentic and, and meaningful to the people who are going to be reading it and, and seeing themselves on the page. Yeah, definitely brother. And I think that, I mean, I think that's awesome, especially how you can turn like your own situations into like your writing. I mean, that's what, honestly, that's what makes writers great. I, I love what Bendis did with creating, you know, the African American miles. I'm an avid reader of that. And the more ethnicity we can have in comic books and whatnot, Hey, I I'm all for it, you know? So, you know, the more the merrier, because I think that that can bring more readers, more eyes, more, you know, obvious, more, you know, just more fans. That's what you, that's what, you know, obviously us doing this podcast and you as your creator, that's what we want, you know, so you know, more power to you. So keep keep bringing it, man. Yeah, no, like, you know, exactly that. That's exactly the reason. Like, I, I'm a big Bendis fan, and I love I love Miles, and I, and I love Riri, um, who he made for his daughter, who's, you know, an, an adopted young black woman. He's an old Jewish white guy. Um, and I think that, like, 
that's great. Like I grew up in a foster family too, and I love that about him. Um, so it's you know, it's it's an ongoing effort. Um, Kayla from from No Heroin was was Puerto Rican American, second generation. Um, so like it's it's something that I definitely want to be more in my work. Dead and Kids One was kind of like an anomaly. It just kind of happened that way, uh, and nobody thought twice about it. Uh, but yeah, I looking forward. Um, I, I can tell you that my next source point book, which is already approved and in production and will come out next year and isn't announced yet, um, I'm not sure there's a white person on the cast. Because I'm, I'm still waiting on some of the character models, but yeah, it's it's. I would expect that for me throughout my career. And Frank, uh, I know Mike can kind of attest to this as well. We uh, he was actually one of the first ones to bring it up. You know, I'm going through no heroin, and it's just I'm loving it so much. And you know, Kayla's strong, and I feel there's just like so much more of this story to be told. Are there times that I mean? I don't know if this gets back to like the whole contract situation that we were talking about or if that's just how it's set up. But are there times or has or do you have stories in, in the going down the pipeline or in the future or just maybe in your head that you just that you feel can be like somewhat of a six issue or maybe even an ongoing? Because, you know, me and Mike, I mean, I'm pretty sure Sean as well can attest to the fact that especially with no heroin and everything it's kind of like you know a recovery story and it's like sometimes i feel like there's so much more to be told that can just be told in just three you know 32 page yeah. you know mini series uh is there anything that like can you tell the fans would you like to be doing an ongoing series would you like to have a longer series or or is it a contract situation can you elaborate on that for us yeah. Uh, so honestly, what it comes down to is economics. Um, and that's like, it's really unsexy, but making a single issue of a comic book is a several thousand dollar project. Uh, and then you multiply that by the number of issues. Um, you know, and, and the writer is the person solely paying for it most of the time. Like I pay my artist and my anchor if there's an anchor and the colorist and the letter and the editor if there's an editor um, and, and the cover artist. So, I mean, like it's very expensive to produce a comic. Um, that's one thing. And then the other side of the coin is for me, my approach to to this all is is to level up, but bad at my level and only push myself a little bit at a time like i, I always use a sort of a weightlifting metaphor like say you want to be be arnold and you want to bench 400 yeah you're not going to walk into the gym on day one and throw out 400 on the bench press you're gonna you know, depending on who you are you might struggle just putting the bar up which is 35 45 pounds but if you go in every day and you lift that bar and then you add five pounds and you add 10 pounds and then you're up to a hundred and you keep at that, you know, eventually, you know, unless you've got some kind of thing working against you, like, you know, a disability, you could probably bench 400 pounds someday. 400 might be too much, but 200, you could definitely, you know what I mean? Um, so for me, it's always, it's about leveling up, but like taking the time to, to learn the form and, and stuff like, so I started my career writing short stories, like little five pages and that's where grief came from. Right. And then I then I did my first miniseries and it was three issues, right? Um, I, did, I wrote a couple one shots in between there and they're actually they'll come out someday. Um, they're they're done. They're sitting waiting for for the right time. Um, but I wrote short stories and I wrote one shot and then I wrote small miniseries, you know, that were at my sort of you know boxing weight, you know, like what what I could handle at the time and what I could afford, right? Because again, it's several thousand dollars per issue. Um, 
Dead End Kids, uh, the suburban job is four issues. Like I'm, I'm slowly leveling up as, as I go. And yes, um, yes. I think, I think as an independent creator, it would, it's going to be a long time before I do anything like in an ongoing, um, it just, because like that would be so expensive. Um, really what you want to do is get Marvel to, to get you on icon, like back when it existed. Um, that was their, uh, their sort of, uh, their black label or their, their vertigo or, or vertigo or black label where, where they're going to pay you to do an ongoing series on their dime. And, and, you know, you're not going to worry about the production. And so I, I always think of, uh, Jonathan Hickman and we're going to keep coming back to him, but he didn't do any ongoing series until after he got in at Marvel and got a start there. He did a bunch of really cool mini series that were all four issues or five issues, uh, nightly news, transhuman, uh, red wing, red mass for Mars. Um, just a couple others, uh, Pax Romana. Um, and he kind of batted at his own level until he, you know, had the sort of audience and the bandwidth and, and the financing to do something a little bigger. And then that's when we got things like, uh, you know, Manhattan projects and East of West. I mean, you can even see he's gone back to more limited stuff like, uh, black Monday murders is 12 issues. Decorum is eight issues. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, so for me, it's, I don't see myself doing an ongoing on my own dollar. That's my own idea for a while, just cause it's, it's, I've got ideas. Like I definitely have ideas, but I don't think I'm at a place as a storyteller where I can do it well. Um, and I don't think that uh, I can afford it. If I'm being honest, I, I love the honesty, man. But I'll be I'll be straight up with you, brother. There's been a couple books that I've dropped lately off my pull list that, and quite honestly, I mean, I, I'd rather be reading like an extended version of No Heroin from you than I would be from some yeah. of these. Like some of these, it's like I've stuck with them because I know they're like a five or a six part yeah. miniseries. But you know, at, when they're done, I mean, they're done. I mean. At some point, I, I feel like I just kind of like and you've always showed to us and you, to our fans. And I'm pretty sure, you know, obviously in grief and everything, how a lot of your real life experiences affects the way that you write your stories. And obviously, there's nothing that is truer than when it comes from deep down inside from the heart. And you're really expressing that emotion and that feeling. And I think that that's why. We really like to read what you have to offer, and we obviously wouldn't mind if it were, if they were longer issues or ongoing stories. Yeah, so I've actually got a plan for, for how to do something like that. Um, if I was going to do something ongoing, which no heroin is – like that's my baby. That's going to be the thing that I continue to build out over time, like with Chris, as the stories come um, – it's going to be sort of how Mike Mignola did Hellboy. Like Hellboy first showed up like 1991, 1992, and then Hellboy and Hell wrapped up like two years ago, three years ago, maybe a couple, four years ago. But he told everything as like sort of miniseries, but had an ongoing plot as, as the miniseries built. And that's like an affordable model for doing it. It's also like, you know, not for nothing. Like when you get to issue like seven, you know, and, and issues one through six are gone. Like it makes it really hard for people to hop on. Right. But if you have a new first issue every year, every other year, like that, that sort of gives a new entry point for, for people who are lapsed uh, or, or didn't read the first stuff. Um, and as like I put out stuff and build an audience, like that's, that's a model that's going to probably work better. And it's something that source point press is equipped to do a little bit better. They, they're bringing a lot of creators out 
and if I have an ongoing book, that's that's one less slot for somebody new to get a shot. Um, and like I, I also want you know, my friends and my collaborators to have as many opportunities as I do because our company is is killing it and they're going to keep getting better. Um, so if I you know had a no heroin ongoing, that means Jason Douglas doesn't get to do his miniseries maybe, or 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 Bob Sally or Gary Gunn. Um, so I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons. Um, there, there is no official sequel to No Heroin, uh, but Chris and I are talking about what, you know, what the next story is, uh, and like how we're going to continue Kayla's story. I know what the last story will be, whether it's the next one or, or five volumes from now. Um, I know what the last story in the Dead End Kid saga would be, um, depending on how far that goes. If we do a third or fourth or fifth, you know, I, I, I know what where I would end that story. Um, not that the they're connected, but they might be. Like, yeah, who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, read issue four, and then let's talk again about that. Uh, Frank, I don't know if we discussed this before today, but does Dead End Kids uh, Suburban Jump have a release date for issue one? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, okay. we're talking in October, uh, and that's on purpose. Uh, so the book just got announced uh, two days ago, like officially. It got soft announced about a week before that, but then like uh, I did a sort of live stream thing the other night where we really revealed all the covers and everything. Um, so it'll be in solicits uh, for pre-order in November, and the first issue will come out in January. It's going to run for four issues, so uh, solicits will be November, December, January, February. Release will be January, February, March, April, and then in April we're going to announce my next book. Like I'm just never going to stop. Um, but, uh, yeah, so first issue's out in January, uh, and we'll run through into the spring. It might be in one of those big preview spreads that SourcePoint Press has. I know, like, I think it was last preview, Mike, SourcePoint Press. They had a pretty sweet little layout going on there. I even mentioned it to Alex at Treasure Island. I was like, wow, SourcePoint Press are coming out with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, we're we're doing about 12 or 13 books a month, um, like, including trades, uh, which is not. I mean, that's a lot more than, like, Vault and, and, and uh, Scout. Nah, Scout's probably doing about the same these days. But, like, yeah, like, I, don't, I, I won't comment on the quality because, like, I, I don't read everything that SourcePoint puts out. But, like, to be able to put out that much volume consistently and, like, still be making money and growing as a company is pretty impressive. Michigan's finest. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, in closing, uh, Frank, can you please tell the fans how to reach you? on any kind of social media so they can start following you and, you know, kind of get ready for dead end kids too. I can, I can definitely do that. Uh, so first and foremost, I, I do a newsletter that comes out twice a month. I think maybe you guys are on it. A couple of you. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, two times a month and it's a really distilled version of everything I have going on. Uh, I talk about stuff really early in there. Like I've been talking about dead end kids in there since last year. Uh, a couple of my next projects have already been talked about and some art's been shown. Like, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of a gold mine of, of like information compared to like what I'm not able to say on Facebook and everything. Um, I try to make it worth people's while to, to give me their, their personal info and, and let me get their inbox. Uh, and there's no algorithms, which is nice. So you never miss it. Um, but if you're not like into that, I've I got Facebook. It's a personal account. Uh, it's just Frank, Facebook.com slash Frank Google. I'll, I'll take most people's requests. You know, anyone not like rocking like a swastika in their profile picture or anything usually, <laughs> usually gets the benefit of the doubt. You know, people want to make comics. People are fans like dead and kids like no heroin. Like I'm, I'm happy to connect and engage. Um, Twitter, Instagram, it's just at Frank Google. Everything's just at Frank Google slash Frank Google. Like if I got in there early and got all, all the good ones. Um, I definitely recommend the, the newsletter, but 
any of the other stuff is fine too. There's links to the newsletter on all the other stuff. Yeah, if you change your mind later, like yeah, I, I like to make it, uh, yeah, give people options. Nice. And us being the Comic Boogies podcast, uh, we have to ask you one uh, sports question, you know, sure. on the way out. So, you being a 49ers fan, yeah. with all of the injuries uh, going, and uh, unfortunately we have some either postponements or rescheduling of these games. Um, how do you foresee? Do you think? I mean, obviously we we know the NFL is a huge entity, and it's it's definitely going to finish. But how do you think the the rest of the season is going to shape out for not only your team but the rest of the league? Uh, I mean, listen, if, if the Niners can get healthy, like they they've got a real shot. Like, I mean, they don't look great right now, but they're also playing with like third string linemen, and you know they just got Kittle back, and Garoppolo's been out, and I don't know why they were were playing Mullins instead of Bethard, but like that, you know, whatever. This, um, I, I think they're they're gonna get healthier and they're gonna do better, and they're they're I mean they're looking at making it the playoffs, but like just barely, like maybe nine and seven or, or ten and six. Um, uh, the Cardinals look pretty good this year compared to the last year so like i think the west is pretty competitive the rams look a little bit worse but still pretty good the, the seahawks are the fucking seahawks um so I, I think yeah i like their chances yeah it depends on how they how healthy they get uh big picture i, I wouldn't be surprised if the chiefs win again the, you know like I, I i could see i could see chiefs um chiefs tampa chiefs saints um Chiefs uh, Packers maybe that that would be a good game actually I, I I'd pay to see that um, but yeah like it, it, somebody's got to figure them out like it, um he, they remind me of the Seahawks when uh when yeah Russell got there to begin with and and it's it's the same kind of scary like you're going into the game knowing you're lose most of the time so but yeah I, I think it'll be a good season either way I'm grateful that the, the Niners had like kind of like a, a slow start playing the Giants and the Jets and the Eagles they lost to the Eagles but just barely and uh, I'm sure they'll beat the Dolphins this weekend less like lightning strikes so yeah. it, it, it'll be a good year I, I, I think it'll be fine like I'm used to them not making it to the Super Bowl so not, <laughs> it wouldn't be too worried about it I, I, I've been robbed so many times this year. Like the, the Red Sox got so close, the Celtics just barely missed it. The the, the the Bruins got knocked out like right before the finals. Like so, I, what, what, yeah. You got you got Kevin Durant coming back next season. Yeah, I mean, like I was I was really amped up for that that Celtics Lakers matchup, and the Heat just they they wanted it a little more in Game Seven. What are you gonna do? Oh wait, yeah. you're a Celtics fan. I am. I'm Boston, except for football. Oh, because okay. okay. Nice. East East Coaster, baby. There you go. Well, Frank, we really appreciate you jumping on the podcast for a second time. We hope that you know, maybe even closer to when issue one of Dead End Kids, the suburban job, comes out, you can jump on again and kind of announce that as well. We'd love to have you on again. Yeah, we can absolutely do that, and then I'll be the most had guests there you go and you, and you guys can get like a championship belt made up and, and, and <laughs> breaking records i know and, right that, and, that's all i want that's all i want and by the way frank i just want to uh let you know that the guy that sponsors this podcast as well alex at treasure island comics i mean i did have a conversation with him and he did actually tell me that no heroin has been a hot book so uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, and I'll say it again, though, but like congratulations to you that, yeah, I guess that uh, they've been selling out uh, no heroin. So if you guys haven't picked it up, 
uh number three came out but you guys can get the trade or whatnot and uh or pick up one two and three but it's a great story and uh keep picking it up and all the frank stories man yeah you'd be hard pressed to find first prints now but there is an entire run of second prints coming i think the first one's just dropped like this week um and it's got a cool reversion of the original cover and and it, it looks really good so uh you, you have like a whole new opportunity to get one two and three over again right now and I know it sounds repetitive, Frank, but once again, congrats on all the great things you're doing. And thank you for obviously being on the show. But more importantly, thank you for just being honest and just real, man. That's one thing we appreciate with you. And we always would love to have you get back on the show. And, yes, we will have that title belt waiting for you. <laughs> I can't wait. Size, uh, size 36. Yep, and it'll have a huge grande pumpkin spice latte right where, like, the WWE <laughs> emblem would go. Venti. You got to get them the venti skin, baby. So, so real talk. Like, I've got a lot of creator friends now, and, like, some of them have blown up over the last couple of years. I won't name names, but they've, they've definitely, like, had good books come out, and they have fans now. And, like, at cons, fans will bring weird shit like that. Like, a friend of mine, like, somebody made her a, a custom Funko Pop of herself and just brought it and gave it to her. So, like, if, if somebody brought me a pumpkin spice wrestling belt, I would not at all be surprised. <laughs> we'll put that on the wish list, on the Amazon wish list. You're a for VIP sure. now, Frank. Come I will hang now. it on you my gotta, wall. It'll be, it'll be great. You're, you're, you're famous. you got to start expecting that type of stuff, brother. I, oh, yeah. I am a little bit famous. You know, I used to <laughs> I used to be hey, one of my coworkers. Own it, baby. Own yeah. it. You put well, in the hard work. Hey, you're out there. Your your books are getting published across the you know United States and all over the globe and whatnot. So hey, hey, own it, baby. That's what we want to see. We want to see great uh, artists, entrepreneurship, and whoever that's just willing to you know better themselves on this podcast. Man, I'm very very proud of you, Frank. Thank you. Oh man, you'll grind or die, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that has been uh, Frank Gogol from SourcePoint Press. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. We will talk to you hopefully very soon. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Frank Gogol from SourcePoint Press. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with us. Everyone go check out Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job, Issue 1 coming out in January. But that's pretty much it for Episode 82 of the podcast. Uh, join us in a quick hitter Strictly Sports episode for episode 83 coming out pretty much the same day. So for Mark and Sean, this is Mike for the Comic Podcast. Enjoy the sports, enjoy the comics, and enjoy each other. Peace out. See you soon in 83. Peace. Later. Always enjoy each other.